0: Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are, it is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Today, I'm super excited. I have Laura Alo. Now, you're going to make this last name super complicated like I did. It's spelled A-I-E-L-L-O, pronounced like J-Lo, but Alo. So that'll make sure nobody forgets you. Laura, how are you? I'm doing great today. Good. We have so much fun stuff to talk about. And uh, like I always do with my interviews, we're going to kind of bounce all around, and then we'll bring it. It always ties in. But one of the things I I want people to know is that if you are someone as a child or as an adult who has gone through any kind of domestic violence, this is definitely a podcast you want to listen to. So we're going to start kind of at the beginning, Laura. You came from a very religious home. Yeah. um, I was Mormon LDS for 17 years, which isn't something that I talk about very often. You were raised uh, Jehovah's witness. My, I have an aunt that was Jehovah's witness and her kids. So I saw that my, uh, partner in life and in crime, Dane, he was raised very strict Catholic. And so I'm not, I want to make it very clear that we're not picking on any specific religion. Mm -hmm. Um, there are several religions that are very strict in nature. A lot of them in the exact same way. So Mm -hmm. I can talk and can talk Catholic. You can talk Jehovah's Witness and we're kind of just talking about basic structures within those religions. Uh When you're raised that way, let's talk about that. Cause I actually joined the church later as a teenager looking for family values, which Mm -hmm. they have, but talk to me about being raised in a very strict religion. So it's
1: in some ways it's super fantastic. Um, you're very clear on expectations. You're very clear on beliefs. Um, We had a very tight-knit family. Often in religions that are really strict like that, the religious community in and of itself is pretty tight-knit, so you really feel like you are part of something. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses is kind of a challenging religion from the standpoint as a child that, you know, we don't celebrate holidays, birthdays, any of those things. Um, And you're sort of taught that – You know, those things go against scriptural evidence, and so you sort of feel sorry for people that celebrate. People feel sorry for you for not celebrating, Um, but overall, it's not a deprived childhood But we had gifts and all of those things, but the thing of it is, Jen, is underlying all of that is um, this attitude that, and, and this knowledge, I guess, and it's not... Specifically said to you, but it's implied that should your thinking deviate, you will lose your family, your community, and all of those things because they don't support ideologies, ideologies, excuse me, that are in any way different. You're not even really supposed to question. So if you're questioning it, it's your lack of faith. It's not, uh, that they might be wrong <laughs> so, so, heaven forbid anybody should be wrong exactly so you know it's very supportive and very loving um as you and i had talked about previously you know it, it, until it's not until you suddenly think you know what something about this isn't right and it the problem is that what what ends up happening, even if you're a strong person that has some differing ideas, you certainly don't want to let down your family, you don't want to let down your religious community, and you certainly don't want to let down God. So you tend to stuff all of those questions that you have, and it really messes with your decision-making, quite honestly. and. Of course, in most strict religions, you know, sex before marriage is not acceptable um, and neither is marrying outside the religion. So you're kind of left with this rather narrow scope of people that you could potentially marry and people start getting married younger and younger. So you start feeling the pressure until you're like, man, if I don't, I'm not married by the time I'm like 21, I am an old maid. If I want to have a family and, and those things are important to me. Um, so that's kind of what it's like. It's, it's very loving, but it's also with this sort of overhanging, if you don't comply, if you don't play within the, you
0: know, rules, then you could potentially lose everything. Everything. And um, I wasn't raised in it as a child, and so my desire to um, question wasn't that (laughs) that wasn't instilled at a young age so I've always wanted to question everything and I felt also like I wasn't lying by being a member of a strict religion I was just not being all facets of myself yeah so like you were talking about stuffing down, I mean, stuffing down the fact that you are a confident, strong woman who has, um, ideas and views, or for me it was, well, what if I wanted to work outside the home and, um, well, that's okay, but it's not really okay. Um, okay. you know, I mean, there was all this, fr- I, I felt like I was constantly trying to navigate the friction that I was inevitably going to have feel when I when anything came out of my mouth and it's a tightrope act almost to navigate that and like you said, you lose your community and your friends and your family and God. Yeah. And so then there's the fear and the guilt and the fire and the brimstone and hell and damnation and a lot of that comes in and i I personally never felt like God was somebody who would lead with as a, especially as a parent. why would God lead with fear? and and anger and like that goes against everything that I had read but yet it's insidious it's not like you're in a strict religion and you flip a switch right kind of just kind of snakes its way into your life a little here and a little there and you accept things a little here and a little there and when you feel that friction of your personality you feel guilt yeah yeah so I also, it was a no sex before marriage, most strict religions are, um, and I don't know, I don't know details, like, as far as the difference between um, being Jewish, being Mormon, being Catholic, being Jehovah's Witness, but, like, we didn't do coffee, no alcohol, no tattoos, no piercings, mm-hmm. I'm like, if it doesn't show, who's going to know, you know, <laughs> I'll just put all that stuff where it doesn't show. Um <laughs> but you know, you're, you're constantly feeling naughty and like you're going against the grain. And one of the big things though is sex before religion. So you're right. So you married at 19, correct? Yes. And I also married at 19 and I have, my oldest daughter is 25 and I have, I have a 19 year old daughter and son and I would kill them if they wanted to get married at this age. But yet for you and I, what was that like?
1: Yeah, it was, um, is very funny because my parents actually got married. My, my mom was 17 and my dad was 20. And at that point in time, when they got married, living in California, they both had to get permission to get married because men had to have permission before the age of 21, women before the age of 18. And, and they're still married and they've been, ha- I mean, they've had their ups and downs like anybody, but pretty much happily married. um, And so my desire to get married, I started, let me back up. I met my husband at the age of, I was 12. He was 11. He had this crush on me. I hated him. I thought he was a jerk. Um, And then his parents, his father was not one of Jehovah's Witnesses, and he and uh, he divorced his mother. And so he was going through this rough time. And my family asked me to be nice to him because he was having such a rough time. He was 15. He was a year younger than I was. So I started being nice to him. And quite honestly, he was kind of a rebellious kid. Like he had um, not wasn't that involved in the religion, had, you know, dabbled with marijuana and drinking and. I don't know, typical teenage type stuff. So to me, he was like James Dean almost. So when you're a super straight arrow, somebody like that, you're like, this is actually kind of, you know, it's like that bad boy thing you're sort of attracted to, which FYI, anybody that's listening out there, bad boys, fine for dating maybe for a while. Don't marry them. It's not bad boys or bad husbands. Um, So anyway, yeah, I um, just kind of, I thought I was falling in love with him. I was really just feeling the pressure of my future starting to loom over me, I think, and then combined with this sort of attraction to the bad boy thing. So I actually, the reason I got married at 19 was because we had to wait for him to turn 18 so we could get married. I
0: know. That's crazy.
1: I know. And I have, my kids are 27 and 24. My son's, um, my youngest almost 25 and I still couldn't imagine him getting, he can barely take care of himself. I can't possibly imagine him married when I was his age. I was pregnant with him and already had my daughter. So yeah, I agree like that in that culture though, it's just, um, it's kind of celebrated. And, and I think, You know, when you start looking at how that plays into what marriages end up looking like, the religions in of themselves are pretty controlling over every detail of your life. And like you said, it's insidious. It's bit by bit. You accept certain things. And it really is this amazing setup for men in particular that have that same personality. Because as soon as you're married, my ex-husband relied on the religion to keep me in the marriage because he knew I wouldn't go against it and he knew that he uh, could be controlling and it wasn't that I agreed with it or felt like I deserved it or any of those things but I it's kind of that you've made your bed now you have to lie in it mentality And so, you know, you make these decisions when you're like, in my case, start dating at 16 and then married at at 19 and you're like, oh, I have to stick with this decision forever now. This is what I've done.
0: Right. Now he, your ex-husband, he's now your ex-husband, came from an alcoholic and abusive family. And so you could even say, you know, there are warning signs. Although I came from an alcoholic and abusive family and I don't. I've never beat my kids, I'm not an alcoholic, I've never been abusive, and so just because someone comes from uh, a rocky background isn't indicative that they're going to be the same way, Mm -hmm. although there there can be a higher likelihood of perpetuating that cycle, but I want to make clear, like you said, in that religion, these are very patriarchal religions, yes, I don't in and of itself have an issue with patriarchal the order of things or how God says he wants them done. I have a very big problem in the abuse of the patriarchal order. And in a religion that's strict, um, yes, it snakes its way into your life, that abuse of patriarchal power um, where you need to be kept in your place and he's the head of the household. And so he did come from that background, Mm -hmm. but he didn't necessarily. Did he perpetuate the cycle or did he end the cycle of abuse? He definitely perpetuated it. And, you
1: know, what you say is so key because when I think back on, you know, were there signs and from the standpoint that he came from that background, if as an adult, now a mature adult, I might look harder at somebody that came from that background, but In that situation, being so young, he spent a lot of time with my family, which my family was pretty mellow, and uh, none of that abusiveness going on or anything. And so whenever he was with our family, he loved being with my family, um, and he loved that feeling. So I never saw that um, sort of behavior displayed toward me, now toward his own family. Yes, like his whole family would get out of control, um, he, him included. But I thought that, you know, well, then that's not going to transfer to me. Once we're married, he'll be out of that element. He'll be more in my family type element and we'll be fine. But literally within months of getting married, I knew it was a big mistake.
0: So again i mean i love that word insidious because it's you know i was in a relationship with somebody dating where i realized one day i had to ask permission to turn on the vacuum in case it might be disruptive (laughs) okay so when you make a statement like that people are like appalled yeah you'd be in it well it didn't start that way it didn't start like hi this is who i am and by the way these are the parameters of the relationship so get used to them now It really is little by little, step by step over time. And you wake up one day and you realize, holy crap, I can't even turn on a vacuum cleaner without asking permission. Yeah. So tell me your journey in that, because now you're an adult and you're married and you have children coming Mm -hmm. in pretty quickly, um, which which is also one of those things where I think not only are strict religions, not just promoting, but encouraging very young marriages where you don't even know who you are yourself. Yeah but they're also encouraging procreation. And I'm sorry, I have kids. That's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. And the last thing that you should be doing if you're not ready for it, and (laughs) sure you are. Yeah. So how did that look? Take me through that journey. You know, it starts as,
1: uh, you know, a lot of um, in your face, teeth clenched yelling poking at your shoulder then that kind of turns to pushing and and shoving and um you know before you know it you're uh, a toddler and uh you're pregnant and your husband has his hands around his, your neck and you're starting to lose consciousness and he's saying i hope you lose this baby so we have one less mouth to feed it seems like it's a big step, but you're, it's this one step at a time. And, and at the point in time when that had happened to me and I, I had to call the police and, uh, you know, the police begged me to leave him and I wanted to, but I was like, I, I, I literally, I was 25, could not see a way out of it. I really couldn't see a way out of it. I didn't work at that point in time. I, I was staying at home with my kids. I had a two and a half year old. I was, you know, three months pregnant and um I knew I wouldn't have the support of my family or anybody else. And I just I felt stuck. And I, you know it's funny because it used to drive me crazy when you'd watch old so Phil Donahue. Remember Phil Donahue? And uh you know, or Oprah, or any of those shows, and they have people on there and people say, I just thought I deserved it. And I'm like, I never thought I deserved this kind of behavior ever. And I used to tell them all the time, you cannot treat me like this. This isn't healthy for our kids to see. Um, but I didn't feel like I had a way out. And I just I, I just literally couldn't figure out how my, what I'm going to do with a baby and a toddler and no job and no community. I had literally no friends outside of that religious community and I felt like I was stuck. And then there's the guilt factor. I don't wanna let down family and God and everything else. Uh, So you try to figure out how you can make it work
0: and that's what you do. At any point, did you discuss this with your family? Because even within a strict religion, there, there are certain things that are, are, and are not okay, acceptable behavior. So within that community, that religious community that you had, your family and your friends, was there anyone that you could talk to? Was there anyone that supported you? No, no. And at the point in time when I, when things were really
1: unraveling and I was talking to the elders of our, um, church or congregation and my parents were made aware of what was going on my parents um basically what they told me was to they would give me examples of women who've been beaten so badly repeatedly by their husbands that they landed in the hospital and that they were long-suffering long-suffering is a huge catchphrase in for jehovah's witnesses i don't know about mormons but um and it's supposed to be that's like the end-all be-all you want to be a long-suffering so um, they would talk about the long-suffering patients of these women and um, how eventually sometimes 20 30 years would go by and their husbands would be won over and stop their abusive behavior so that's wh- and I knew that that's what I would be told because I heard examples like that all the time um, And I knew that if I came forward with what was happening to me, that that was what they would say. And when I did go to them, that is what they said. So it's really, um, in fact, one elder in particular very much downplayed it, said I was just exaggerating. Um, I'd never been to the hospital, so it couldn't be that bad. Um, And just, yeah, they really... um, there's not a lot of support for that. Although they sort of pick and choose. There are some people that they stand up for, other people they don't. It just sort of depends on how things are presented. I'm a pretty direct person, and I don't tiptoe around or try to cast things in a certain light. I just tell it like it is. And so could I have presented myself in a certain manner, possibly, where I would have gained more um sympathy I guess but it wouldn't have been true compassion or empathy and in the end the real message would still
0: be you need to stay and try and figure it out right and and there's also a lot of blame um Mm -hmm. I found you know it's your it's your fault that this is happening What, what could you do differently to stop this from happening you know which isn't just a religious uh way of thinking a lot of just people in the community are wondering well what did she do to deserve this and um a lot of the the way that women feel who are abused is well how could i have made it better what we that's what we think it doesn't matter if you're yeah. a child or an adult when somebody is beating the living shit out of you you're wondering well how how did i play a part in this somehow so there's yeah. a lot of self-blame religion taken out of it yeah so, I'm sure we could hear from um, hundreds of women who have been through domestic violence, and the story is very, very similar regardless of the religious undertone, but that does make you feel even that much more alone. And this wasn't yesterday. There are programs now um, Mm -hmm. that there weren't back in the day. Yeah. Uh Where women, if you, if you have no one, there is still someone there. There are hotlines. We have internet on our phones now. It wasn't necessarily like that back then. So you really yeah. did feel much more alone. So you lasted how long in this relationship that was abusive pretty much from the beginning?
1: 17 years, 18 by the time we were officially divorced. And it <sighs> really just had gotten to this point where he was following me to and from work, calling me all day long. Wanting me to quit my job as a fitness instructor because he didn't, you know, was concerned about the element of people I was meeting at the gym. Um, yeah, and we did uh, seek outside the religion counseling. That's one thing I want to to make sure is clear because this isn't, as you said, it's not just a religious issue, but people. Um, that engage in domestic violence, whether it's physical violence, emotional, um, financial. That's a big issue for a lot of people. Some people, sexual. I unfortunately didn't deal with that one aspect, but the verbal abuse, all of those things, um, you know, it's very cyclical in nature. And, um, you know, there's a honeymoon phase and it starts to fall apart and then they start to... You know, there's a big blow up and then it's back to that honeymoon phase. And the whole time you're like trying to adapt and be, you know, should I I be distant? Should I be more loving? Should I lay down the law? Like, you know, you're trying everything as the victim to try to figure out how to not have this continually happen. And we did seek outside counseling um, several different times. But those people, it's very ingrained and breaking that pattern is very challenging for them. Um, for a variety of reasons. So, you know, the likelihood that they'll come out of it and
0: it's going to be all good is not that high, unfortunately. Well, and you're talking about the abuser. Yes. I I mean, I think first with any, and I love therapy. I have no no ill will towards therapy. Um, The issue is that when you're working with a couple, I could be going by myself if I'm not willing to recognize my issues and admit them and embrace them, and I don't have a willingness to change, it's not going to matter. You can smile and say the right things, but the actions have to follow suit. And um, yeah, you, anybody can change anything. I absolutely believe that 150% if you admit it, embrace it and you want to, and you're willing to do the level of work that it takes to make those changes. And that's, that's difficult. And quite honestly, coming from an abusive background, myself as a child, I imagine the abusers thinking, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Cause if, if I'm going to stay and tolerate it, why should, why change it? It's working yeah. great for him. Right? Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't until it wasn't working great anymore. So in the, so you did therapy now, I do want to back up for just a second. At what point in there did you start getting involved in the fitness industry? You have this 18 year long marriage where in there and, and I can understand that's a, that was a pretty ballsy move on your part. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you. So when my son was,
1: um, just a few months old, I, um, was at this point where I, so I was staying at home with the kids and I just wanted I wanted some little piece of outside life, basically, outside of being a stay-at-home mom and and being encased in this religious community. And so, I happened to have a friend who was also one of Jehovah's Witnesses um, that was an aerobics instructor. And so, she encouraged me to do that because you there's on-site childcare, you get paid to work out, all that stuff. So, I decided to do it. And at that point in time, in order to become certified. It was like a, I had to take a college course for it just um, the semester, but I had to take the semester-long course. And my ex-husband picked a fight with me every single night before I would have to leave because it was twice a week and really did everything, like sneering at what I wanted to do and just really put me down. And I was just like, I'm doing it. So I did it. Um, so at that point, my son was just a few months old. My daughter was um, three. And uh, yeah, started teaching fitness classes and um, taught all the way through our marriage. In fact, I was planning on becoming a personal trainer, um, but I decided to get divorced instead. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> get to make some choices there. Coin <laughs> <Yeah>, <laughs> toss, coin toss, exactly. And I things had just gotten so ramped up with my ex husband, and I got to that point, the breaking point, and um, and split. So I had to find like a full time job instead but uh yeah so that whole time for quite a while i was and that was my it was really my lifeline in many ways The um the physicality of it gave me a lot of not just physical strength but mental strength um having some touchstones of people that weren't all about the religion was critical because at the point in time when i actually left i had three friends Three And they were all people that I knew from the gym.
0: One of whom I'm married to now. <laughs> so well, we're getting to that. We're getting yeah, there. We'll so, get there. But um, the thing about the fitness industry and being fit is you're right. So you're physically stronger, you're mentally stronger. But I mean, it does this weird thing. You start to feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you're feeling crappy about yourself from everywhere else, then you want to, you want more of that feel good about yourself so i i mean it's shocking that all of this lasted so long you have this huge timeline you know of all of these years of abuse and that battle within and the feeling like you can't get out so you have these three friends but how did you finally look at him and say enough is enough and i'm leaving
1: i had really i had gotten to a point where like i said he was following me um calling me constantly and we we gone we we're seeing a therapist again and um we'd gone to the therapist we'd gone there separately because he was coming from work and the therapist just looked him dead in the face and said she's already almost got one foot out the door what are you gonna do what and I and he's and my husband just shrugged his shoulders and he looked at me and he said what would it take for you to stay and I said he'd have to be nice to me. That's it. That was my only requirement. Um, And so we left the therapist's office and my husband was full of promises. We're driving home, it's about a 15 minute drive home and on the way I know our dog needs food so I get off the freeway one exit before our house, he's on the phone. Where are you going? What are you doing? We just left the therapist's office. And he's still trying to track me. And I just said, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I, I, you know, found out he'd been lying to me about some stupid things. He, you know, said that he was going to be buying this land and all this other stuff. It's kind of a long story, but it's just finding out about the lying, the nonstop, uh, you know, calling me. And then in this one instance is like, that's when it just clicked to me. Like, no matter what I do, this isn't going to change. It's never going to change. And at the time, I was um, 35 or 6. So I could see 40, like, looming in the distance. And for some reason, I kept thinking, if I don't change this by the time I'm 40, I'm never going to be able to change it. And so I suggested that we have a trial separation, pardon me, which he actually agreed to. I was surprised. So he went and lived with his mother. And uh, we were trading the kids back and forth. And uh, he just came home after this had been going on for about a month that we were separated because I was just trying to get some distance. And he, he just came over one day and said, that's it, I'm moving back in. And I had to get an order of protection against him. And, that, and at that point, I just said, it's, it's never gonna work, we're filing for divorce.
0: What was the worst now you made a comment earlier about how, well, you never landed up in the hospital, so it couldn't be that. Bad. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that that's a good barometer for physical abuse, but yeah. what was the worst moment in the abuse history or moments? How bad did it get? The worst really
1: was at the was the point in time when I was pregnant with my son. Now I stayed with him another ten years after that, but when I was pregnant with him because I'd, ha- I'd had a miscarriage and um, which was very devastating, and got pregnant and at that point in time when he was literally choking me to the point where I was losing consciousness and telling me that he hoped I lost that baby that was because that was so directly to the kids, everything else he did he would he would clench his teeth. He would, you know, get in their face and stuff. But he didn't ever physically beat them. Now, was he abusive and all of those other, you know, verbally abusive? Yes, toward them. But um, for some reason, I was able to, in my mind, separate those things out. So that one, to me, was the worst. When I, because I felt like my child was threatened, my unborn child. Um, that was the worst of physical but it was as i think near the end of our marriage it was the lying that he was doing i found out he had several people in collusion with him to like he was making up stories about me and spreading things around he'd made up a fake email account in my name and then was emailing back and forth to populate this account with my supposed uh, infidelities so that he could have a record to show people how bad I was when I started finding some of these things out, I was like shocked that someone would go to that length, and actually, I was slightly impressed that he had the intelligence to think that far ahead <laughs> um, but yeah, as we were nearing that end point, I was really starting to see that it just i I didn't think he had the ability to change what he was doing. it just became. I tried every avenue I
0: could think of and it became clear it wasn't going to change. So 18 years has gone by and you you're separated for that month. And then you say no, and you get a restraining order. And what happened with the church and with your family, not his family as much, but your parents and your siblings?
1: Yeah. So my, um, Well, I was out of touch with my brother because he was an alcoholic and was disfellowshipped as well, so he was not part of our family. Um, One of my sisters never chose to follow the religion, so she stood by me through the whole thing. My other sister was pretty young at the time and didn't know what to, how to, there's a big, big age gap between me and my younger sisters. My parents were very—they weren't happy about his behavior, but they didn't want me to divorce him. So they wouldn't help me at all in terms of actually divorcing him. They did help me a little bit in terms of looking after my kids while I was working. Um, the church just really put the pressure on for me to get back together. They can, you know, of course, my ex had been building up this whole log of crap. um to 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 discredit my reputation they wouldn't listen to anything i said um i found out that he was seeing somebody and all of this and they just wouldn't even look into that stuff they were because they were hell-bent on pinning it on me there have been a few there have been three or four women over the previous year in our church who had left their husbands for another man and so they they elder I was talking with said that he was going to make an example out of this situation. And so it was, it didn't matter what the truth of the facts were to him. Um, It was very important for him to see that this wasn't going to stand. So the people in the, um, in our congregation were terrible. Um, The day that he was to have his items removed from our house um, by law, he wasn't allowed to be near me because I had this order of protection. But we had very distinct six people that were supposed to come and pick up his things. And the day that they arrived, the police came so that, just to make sure he didn't show up, the entire congregation showed up at my house. They, um, somebody came in. It was madness. There was like 40 people there at my house, taking stuff. Much of it wasn't designated as his. One person disconnected the garage door uh, so I couldn't close my garage door. They were going under my house. They were trying to go inside the house. Um, And the police, who were only supposed to be there for about 15 minutes to make sure he didn't show up, stayed for the whole time because they said they'd never seen anything like it. They didn't know what these people were gonna do to me. Um, And they were like animals at that point. Nobody ever asked me my side of the story. Nobody, and these were people I'd known, keep in mind, my whole life. These were people that I had a solid reputation with, and his reputation was one of a exaggerator at best, liar at worst, and they knew that about him, but they still accepted the story as it was presented and completely turned
0: on me. What about the kids in all of this? Ugh, yeah. How old were they then? 15? No, my
1: daughter was 13. My son was 10. And um, unknown to me, all of these things that my husband was using to try to discredit my reputation, he was also showing to our 13-year-old daughter. So he'd been telling her that I was cheating on him. Um, and just all kinds of stuff. So she was obviously very upset. This is not the kind of information a 13-year-old, even if it was true, should not be shared with her. Our son, um, he had no interest in gaining custody over because he was 10, he has ADD, she's not the easiest person in the world to deal with. So he didn't share any of this with our son, but our daughter... Uh, just eventually, it got so bad that she was starting to exhibit the same abusive behavior towards her brother while I was at work. And she kept saying, I want to go live with dad, and so finally I relented after months of this, thinking that she would remember what it was like to live with him. But unfortunately, they just because the church backed up his story, and there was a lot of you know, your mom's so terrible. Um, that that I that relationship was completely deteriorated and remains deteriorated to this day. She still lives with her dad, she's 27, still lives at home, um, still involved in that religion. So, um, my son completely opposite left the religion stayed with me and, um, you know, moved on with his
0: life along with me. So one of the things that you, uh, and I talked about before is that, and you, I'm going to quote you, you said I did everything wrong while facing my challenges. What makes you feel like you did anything wrong? It's not that I feel like
1: I did anything wrong in terms of deciding to leave, but what, I did as I I did not prepare in advance I I could see the writing on the wall and I kept hoping against hope that things would change and I really feel like it's important for people to accept what reality they're presented with so that they can then say this is probably not going to work let me make some kind of preparations So that I don't just have to completely jump with no net. And that's, unfortunately, I just jumped with no net. I didn't have any support. I didn't know anything about divorce. I didn't know what it looked like. I literally, there wasn't, the internet was relatively new. So I literally picked a lawyer out of the yellow pages. I let my lawyer handle all of it for me. And she wasn't a good attorney as I understand now and as I began to understand um I didn't ask people for help I tried to do everything on my own because I've always been a real you know I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps kind of person and that's not bad but um and none of those things are necessarily bad but there's such a
0: much better
1: way to do things And I had to really learn how to ask people for help when I needed help or accept help when it was offered. Um, And I had to learn how, you know, later to be much more of an advocate for myself. So, you know, with my attorney and with the courts and all of those things, I let a lot of other people take the reins because I didn't know what to do or how to do it. So it's, um, that's really, when I, when I talk about doing everything wrong, it's really about trying to be too self-reliant, um, you know, and, and not sort of preparing for what was coming. So I really had to make some drastic decisions instead of more gradual decisions.
0: And that that is a great segue. So you had, you knew your husband beforehand through the fitness industry and you actually, you climbed the corporate ladder in the fitness industry. Um, you started coaching. Tell me about meeting because he's your husband now. Yeah. So you knew him um with just a couple people. He was one of a couple people that you yeah. knew. Yeah. Going through all of this. So you did remarry. I did remarry. Shocking, I know. (laughs) When I first started
1: thinking about divorce, I thought, oh man, I I just, I don't ever want to get married again. But sometimes when the right person comes along, and the interesting thing about my husband that I'm married to now, is that when I met him, it was while all of this stuff was going on. And he, um, coming from, actually from a, he grew up in Utah, surrounded by Mormons as a Catholic. Very, I'm so Uh, sorry. Tell him I'm sorry. I know. So such a tricky situation, right? He's not a practicing Catholic any longer. But um, anyway, so he had gone to college as a sociology major, and part of his internship was working with women uh, victims of domestic violence. And so I just knew him casually as I did other people at the gym, but he could sense that there was more going on. And so um, as things progressed, he actually ended up moving to Atlanta, and, but continued to stay in touch with me because he was concerned about the situation. And so he really actually provided a lot of support for me through that situation, just as a friend. He didn't even live. He was on the other side of the country. Um, but was very integral in me being able to move through that situation and then um as time progressed I I had to once my, my divorce was finalized I I had to leave the state I'd been in that city in that area for my entire life I couldn't go anywhere without running into people from my religion number one number two I was scared all the time I slept about three or four hours a night for two years While I was going through my divorce, I was a basket case. And I just had to put distance between me and my ex-husband and my whole life so I could truly start over. And so I moved to Northern California. um, And at that point in time, my current husband also relocated to Northern California for a job. And that's when we started um, dating and ended up getting
0: married. Yay. I so, know. It's kind of a weird story. <laughs> well, yeah, but but it's a good story because it wasn't, um, there was no orchestration behind any of it. And um, he got to see you at your worst right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, that's not the truth. And
1: the other thing, and I, and I really stress this to my own clients, is that I don't necessarily think that getting involved in a relationship is soon on the heels of your divorce or in the midst of your divorce is the best thing to do um, because you have to do a lot of healing. What was actually really helpful for me and why I think I'm going on 11 years in this marriage now um, was the fact that we didn't live in the same state. Most of our communication was on the phone Um, and we were friends. This was more about being friends than anything else. And it wasn't until my divorce was – you know, have behind me. And, uh, you know, I had rebuilt my life before we even began dating and we dated for a couple of years before we got married. So, um, yes, I met him while I was going through all of that, but the real relationship buildup was sometime later.
0: Right now you, you moved locations and you climbed the corporate ladder in the fitness industry. So you stayed in that Mm -hmm. and then now it's 2013 that you started your own business so how much time had elapsed from your divorce until 2013 when was your divorce final um when was my divorce final
1: 2003 2003 I think is when it was final
0: so 10 years a little more than 10 years had had lapsed yeah So you, you have 10 years under your belt, you're working in the fitness industry, industry and still, and part of that we've talked about, people do a lot of different things in order to heal and to get through no matter what the situation is. Some people use religion, some people use music, some people use therapy, sometimes a combination of a lot of stuff. And, um, a a lot of us that talk about things on the back end of coming through situations is the physical outlet. Yeah. and that was the same for you, mm-hmm. um, that mental, emotional well-being, stability. Yeah. So you maintained that through everything. And then that, then you started your own business, and you are a divorce coach. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing. So I, you, you're called. Um, your website is the Mm -hmm. and that's the same as Facebook, and um, Instagram is Laura the Divorce Strategist, but basically you can find you anywhere, the Divorce Strategist is how you find you through this, so this is way back in 2013 now, you've had 10 years, and you went through your own experience, and you are a coach for fitness, you're still doing all of that, and then I love your approach to divorce coaching. And I don't, I don't think I have my, your email in front of me, the emails that we went back and forth, but I think it's actually on your website, uh, your approach to divorce coaching you. Yeah. It must've been on your website. You talk about how you don't always feel that divorce is the answer, but it's also not a failure. So go into like, how did this come about? The business? Yeah. Yeah. So
1: it's funny because, and I never wanted to be the poster child for divorce, but um, because my experience was fairly, um, shall we say, extreme, um, and th- there are a number of people that saw me go through that, and um, especially in the fitness industry, uh, and I have to say, I just have to back up for, for one second, while I was going through that, I used to People thought, surely, I would give up teaching my classes. And there were days I would be sobbing in my car and then just wipe the tears away, go in and teach a class. But it was the one place where people still liked me, where people would say, you're doing a great job. And it was a place for me to hold on to just that shred of who my core self was. And that's sort of what carried me through. And so as a result, I would often share my experience of divorce with people in my classes, if they approach me, I don't, you know, start up my class and then start diving into my personal life, but they were aware of what was going on. Um, And so I always was sort of um, casually helping people through some, you know, just giving them pointers. I really am not an advocate for divorce. I'm a big believer in marriage. Um, As I said, I've been remarried for a long time now, Um, but sometimes divorce is, Necessary to live your best life, so I believe in that too, and I believe in helping people. And so, in 2013, um, my company had asked me to move to Southern California, which I did, um, to support the business. And then the business got sold, and as a result of the business getting sold, a a lot of the corporate level employees were laid off. So I was sort of like, "I, what do I do with myself now?" And that's when um, the, the seed for my business was sort of planted. I initially was sort of focused on personal development, but because of my own experience, of course you draw the people to you that um, <clears throat> most can benefit from your own um, you know, situation and experience. So that was what I kept drawing. So I just sort of you know, threw up my hands and said, I give up. Yes, I'll focus on divorce. And um, started really focusing on that. And, And my approach is really about being practical. How do you connect with the people you need to connect with and keep your sanity from beginning to end so that when your divorce is over, because it's not fun for anybody, it's not an enjoyable experience, even if it's amicable, it's still sort of the death of the dream that you had when you got married. But it is an opportunity to start to live a better life if you can hook into that mentally and emotionally. And that can be tough. So that's kind of why I got into it and why I'm so super passionate about it because I know people, I've seen people who've been divorced for 30 years and they're still in agony from it because they didn't take time to take care of themselves and set themselves up. I'm sure you see this with your clients as well. When people fail to really reach out for their future, all they're left with is their past. And so it just holds them in this place where they have no power. They have no happiness or joy. And I don't want divorce to do
0: that to people. So that's kind of how I got into what I'm doing. And I think that that's true if I had, even, even in college, even, you know, I was 17 when I went to college. And even if I think back, I, I still, you realize if when you look back, you, you're constantly being guided in us in specific directions because of your experience or because of what you attract. And it's easier to just say, okay, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> and people don't realize that they're being held hostage by that past. And you're right. You, you don't think about the future or make plans for that because you're hostage of your past and that you have the ability to not be hostage of your past. And yeah. sometimes you just don't know cause you don't know. And sometimes you don't know to ask the right questions. And I mean, there's a million reasons and the things that you did, um, is that you, you did a lot of personal development, which I, I okay. love because we have very parallel, um, thought processes and, and paths on this, the reading, the learning to rely on others. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, someone asked me once, are you good at everything you do? And I said, yes, because I don't do the things I'm not good at. I find somebody who is, and I call them a resource. Yes. No, i know, like, wow. Why do you want to be good at everything? You, you yeah. can't possibly. Yeah. But going, nope, I'm not good at that, but you are, so can you help me? That's a very hard thing for people to do, and do it. Do it a couple times. You'll never go back to not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done meditation, uh, all of the physical fitness industry, the classes that you've taught, and you ended up publishing a book. Divorce is a push-up, get strong to get through. And now in your business, you do the one-on-one coaching and um, e-course. And you tie in, which I do also, we do it in different ways, which is exciting. The physical aspect, the yoga or the meditation Mm -hmm. into um, getting through things. And I do the same type of thing in a slightly different way. And so I love that um and now your website you publish weekly blogs <laughs> i saw the one that i think it's the one that just came out tell me what the most recent was that just came it was like something about i want to strangle my ex or- oh yeah. oh revenge 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 <laughs> because i hear that all the time
1: and it, what's really funny is that as important as support is Um, And it's nice to have, you know, so that misery loves company thing. So you can commiserate with people, but they aren't necessarily your best resource for advice because what ends up happening is you hear people saying, take his shit and throw it on the lawn, sell it this, you know? um, And, and yeah, that plays into like, you want to just, oh, there's, you're so wrapped up in that. But five years from now, you is going to be really pissed if you do that. And I think that's who you are as a person all the time, you know, but overall that's not who
0: most of us are. And, and if it is who you are as a person all the time, you really can't say too much about the other person. Right. <laughs> and you know, the misery loves company that I have a great example that everybody can relate to. I bought a Kia car. I have never heard of a Kia before. I'd never seen one. They are everywhere. Mm -hmm. But I know they were everywhere till I bought one and it kind of, it was no longer in my periphery. Now I know what a Kia is. I know what this car looks like and I see them everywhere. Oh my, all of a sudden people didn't, I didn't, I'm not a trendsetter. I didn't buy a Kia and everybody saw me driving down the road going, oh, we've got to get us one of those. (laughs) (laughs) they were there before so you notice where you're where you are at and what i mean about that like you said misery loves company if where you are at is misery every quote every social media post everything you see everywhere every comment is going to be geared towards that misery the revenge what however you're feeling yeah It's a matter of shifting your attitude or opening up to see other things. There were always that many kias on the road. I just wasn't aware of them. And so as people, we need to open up and be aware of the other things that are surrounding us. Because there are equally as many positive things as there are negative. But it's a matter of raising our own awareness to that. So you notice where you live, where you live in your head. So, you have um, your website is fantastic. You do weekly blogs. You do have a lot of freebies and tips and tricks, and lots of ways that uh, if people want to go on, and it's not even divorce right now, it could be divorce in your, like you said, 30 years. Yeah. Um, if there are struggles, you can still heal from stuff that was 10 years ago as opposed to a month ago. Yeah. Um, you have all of that. It's incredible. A monthly newsletter, you are on Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram. And, uh, so your worst place, let me see if I can sum this up accurately was losing your family, your religion, your marriage, your kind of your identity. Yeah. Uh, extracting yourself from a domestic violence relationship mm-hmm. and starting over and what is your best place oh gosh I
1: I think I'm still I'm in it and moving toward it because I just things just keep getting better and better honestly um, it felt really good when I made those changes and it was Terrifying and felt good to stand on my own two feet. Um, But it's been really amazing to see myself continue to push myself through things and to continue to move forward and to acknowledge things about myself. That's why I think the personal development is so important. And I, there's a, a company down here that I regularly take their workshops about every four months or so, or three months or so. Because I have to constantly look at myself so that I can understand what I'm doing on an unconscious level and then keep being able to move myself forward. And instead of trying to bootstrap my way through my life like I used to, now I can do it with a lot more thoughtfulness, intelligence, understanding. And so I really feel like the best is now because I feel like I'm much more of a whole person Um, I get to use all of what I think when I moved to Orange County and I lost my job, I was in this unique position again where I had to make friends, uh, not having, I wasn't a mom with little kids, so I didn't have any built-in community there, I was not part of a religious community, so nothing there, not part of a work, I had to actually find friends at you know, 40-something years old. And so I made this conscious effort to really find people that 100 percent were on board with who I am at this moment, as I evolve. and I've met some of the most incredible, amazing people. I have truly supportive, loving, caring people in my life that they don't care if I mess up. They don't care if I one day I think I'm this and the next day they think I'm that. They just want me to be happy. And having that in my life is such an incredible gift. Anybody that doesn't have that uh, wants that. People that have that already may think, I don't know, what's the big deal? But believe me, that is a big deal for many, many people to get to walk around being you instead of wearing some sort of a mask. So I think now is good. (laughs) I love it. And your dream, tell me about your dreams. Well, so I'm in the process of developing an e-course and a um, yoga series for healing from divorce. So I'm really excited about that. My ultimate dream is really to be able to do some, you know, like five to seven day retreats that are really geared towards You know, acknowledging where you are, the hurt that you went through, because a lot of times we try to pretend that doesn't exist and skip over it, which doesn't work. So acknowledge it, embrace it, honor it, and then let it go. And that's really what I want to do is is come uh, together and bring all these elements of things that I do, that I've learned, that I've experienced together to, you know, educate people So spend a little time understanding how we work so that we can, you know, honor who we are and learn how to let it go and fold in some real nurturing self-care and disconnection from outside life for a little while. So that's kind of my ultimate goal is to get to those retreats, you know, two or three times a year where you can really build a strong community and take care of yourself so you can take care of all your other stuff. (laughs)
0: i wholeheartedly agree with that and i want to thank you laura Uh, again it's laura alo a-i-e-l-l-o at the divorcestrategist.com and i look forward to sharing this hopefully we have a lot of input from women who sometimes we just need to hear it from somebody else to be brave enough to talk about it and um, hopefully that's what this did domestic violence is i mean statistically it's staggering um, and so I appreciate you being vocal about your journey. So hopefully other people are less afraid of their own journey. And so I appreciate you. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure to be on and chat
1: today. It's so, always so good to find a kindred spirit. <laughs> that, that is amen
0: to that. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting like share and of course comment i welcome input with attitude get a copy of my book on amazon hello my name is warrior princess or check out my website jentaylor.net and if you still want more sign up for one of my coaching packages